Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever, good whomever. This is Agitators Anonymous. This is episode 94. Still in season one, I guess. I'm still unsure whether to move on to season two or not. It remains to be seen. So, once again... I must apologize out of the gate for not finishing the promised Elizabeth Bathory podcast. She is no doubt turning in her grave. It is in the making. It is in the making. She's been dead for a long, long time. So the story ain't going anywhere. Uh, So maybe continuing the discussion about some other things might be more pertinent. I'm going to talk a bit about apologies. Um, Not just, of course, Joe Rogan, but also um, a reflection on what they mean in the metal scene. Um, Do they actually hold any water? Do they actually mean anything? Do they actually have any worth? Or are they just acts of contrition in the face of a witch hunt? Um, Well, you probably know which side my opinion is going to fall on. I'm going to talk about that. Going to talk a little bit about the Canadian truckers. Um, A few heavy metal things here and there and all that kind of stuff. But I suppose because of the nature of what's sort of happening and so many things are shifting, which do bump up right against an awful lot of the things that concern the podcast, whether it's free speech, whether it's all those kind of things, I suppose it makes sense to make a little triumvirate, a little trifecta, a little triptychon of um, social commentary podcast, so to speak. Does this make me a social commentator? I don't know. Wasn't exactly my intention, but here we are. And I know some of you think I should tell more dumb cocaine and booze-filled stories from the heavy metal history playbook. And I do promise I will try and find that playbook, dust it off and rip a few yarns from it yet, because there are many. Um, But for now, I'm going to stick to continuing this train of thought, this train. um, Well, it's this train that's going to take an awful lot of turning around, that's for sure, if it comes to um, 
when it comes to, I suppose, stopping the uh, uh, ever-encroaching movement of cancel culture into every aspect of our society anyway. So let's consider some of these things. Let's talk about some of these things. And I hope I don't sound like a broken record to you. And I promise I will do some Elizabeth Bathory stuff pretty soon. Um, Like I said, I will try and find that dumb heavy metal playbook from my youth. And well, to be honest, sometimes not even from my youth. And I will calm down... um, calm down the tone a little bit I got a few comments that I was far too chipper far too excitable last week really could that be true have you been listening to the same podcast over the last 40 years or 200 years or whatever it is that I've been doing it and the idea that somehow I seemed excitable well (laughs) what can I say to that I will try and calm my own hype beast levels this week and be a little bit more dour. I will say that um, an awful lot more people are listening. There seems to be another uptick in the podcast compared to, um, you know, a month or two ago. Well, actually, it started once I started talking about more of these social issues. Hmm, Is that a uh, contradiction? I'm not really too sure. I'm not really too sure at all. But I will say that the numbers are beginning to look to move again and look really healthy. And if you are listening to this and thinking to yourself, I could sponsor that podcast or at least have an ad read or something like this. I am taking proposals for that if they are not too wild and wonderful and don't interrupt with the flow too much or don't reflect too poorly um, upon the podcast's general tone, whatever that may be. And so if you are running a label doing a magazine or something like that and you think it might fit with the podcast then uh, drop me a dm slip into my dms darling right so let's continue with what i think i have set the stall out for agitators anonymous to be about and that is freedom of speech i'm alan averill erstwhile and sometime heavy metal singer um who has now become how can we call it a social commentator active socialite um in the freedom loving republic of ireland and the capital of glam and that is dublin a courier a courier in front of me at the post office today said i mean my life is constant glamour but he said to me are you ready to go to war to the post office clerk she wasn't really listening and she says, what? Oh, we're going to war. We're going to war we are. Ukraine and all that. All right, says board post office Claire, sort of looking through the glass at um, our excitable, I'll use that word again, courier. Ah, yeah, going to war. Um, all to get rid of the dollar. Do you know what I mean? We'll be using Chinese and Russian currency. Russian currency, I thought. Wow, that's... Uh, placing a lot of um, faith in Putin and the failing Russian economy. But, yep, he said Russian currency. Um, The Chinese are literally, they're literally going to press a button and this stuff is going to change, I'm telling you. The bored post office clerk worker, um, well, she just sort of stared into the middle distance and I'm sure she thought to herself, yep, Whatever, whatever. Trying to get through the day here, mate. Don't really need your um, your conspiracy TT theories, uh, whatever you want, you know. And signed her forms, ticked her boxes, whatever you want to call. Insert pun there. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
I was standing behind him. I could have intervened. I could have intervened, taken a little Crimean step into his narrative. But, however, I was thinking to myself, I do wonder, did he mean the stories you can read about the globalist intention to remove fiat currency? Um, so let's try and put a little bit of flesh on his bones of his randomness as I try and start off the podcast. What is fiat money? Fiat money is a government-issued currency that is not backed by a physical commodity, such as gold or silver, but rather by the government that issued it. The value of fiat money is derived from the relationship between supply and demand and the stability of the issuing government, rather than the worth of a commodity backing it. Most modern paper, paper currencies are fiat currencies, including the US dollar, the euro, and other major global currencies. There you go. I stole that from some website or other, but it... I was trying to write this and I thought, no, no, maybe I should just go and find what a, an economist or a banker would actually explain what a fiat currency is. Now, there are many people who believe that um, one of the uh, moves within this sort of whole Great Reset is an, will be an attempt to remove fiat currency. And there are many people who believe that within the same um, stroke of the same pen or the same move will be an attempt to remove the dollar as the world's federal, you know, the world's reserve currency. And that it is China who do actually want to do that. Certainly, if you watch the World Economic Forum's You Will Own Nothing video, you will see the section, the US will not be the world's dominant power. And we know our boy Xi Zhao did the last few opening speeches at the World Economic Forum. Um, so was our buddy, the courier, and I don't mean that in a patronising way by taking off his accent, because every now and again I do slip into the same Dublinese. Um, was he entirely wrong? Well, certainly the move towards a cashless society in China and parts of Asia has been happening for a while. And I think there is a, definitely a push to move that way here um, and all across the Western world. Now, of course, many people tether that to the social currency system in operation, which when you connect those dots as in, um, you know, your financial situation tethered to your relationship to the state, tethered to your relationship to other people, which is judged. And when I say social currency system, sometimes people don't really know what I mean. But what I mean is that, let's say the way you review, um, you know, you eat in a restaurant and you can go on to whatever that website is and review it. Imagine, or let's say Uber, you review your Uber driver. It's the same sort of principle. And what that means is essentially that you will be able to rate, so to speak, your um, interactions with everybody that you meet, um, that your phone, you know, which now in some parts of China, as I understand, is illegal to go out without um, your phone will register the person that you are nearest to on your GPS. Um, so you will be able to see, oh, this person only has a trustworthy rating of let's say, I don't know, whatever it is, let's say 70 out of 100 because of indiscretions against the state, maybe because of things they've posted, maybe because of other um, elements of social activity that the state frowns upon, or then maybe, who knows, maybe they missed a parking fine, or they defaulted on their mortgage or whatever else. All of these things, this is the worry that the social currency system, which many people believe is baked into our coming society, that these interactions are going to be ongoing on a daily basis. And and so therefore, if you were the Uber, you know, the Uber driver who got a poor rating because of, 
who knows what happened that day. You were not smi a smiley, happy person when you took, um, you know, passenger X from A to B. Then this, it might be very well the state reviewing your own social media interactions saying, well, I think what you said there might have had a little hint, a little touch of hate speech there. And so you're going to lose 0.4 points for that. Now I'm sort of rambling, but you can see the connection, um, the connection to um, digital currency to that is maybe could that be where our courier friend was going to? I don't know. I don't know. But certainly he was sure about the fact that we were going to war. I'm not sure quite what he meant by we. However, is cryptocurrency the answer to all of that? I've tried to understand it. Um, in as much as I can, I had to watch a child's uh, cartoon sort of explaining what it and um, NFTs were. I still don't quite understand. At least some people claim it is because it doesn't have a sort of centralized governing system to it. But then again, everybody I know who, who got into it and tried to invest in it and tried to make some money from it, they mostly, well, nearly all lost. And um, many, many people just dropped off a cliff with it and they came out you know, thousands, tens of thousands in some cases, not even a Mars bar's worth, um, but they all lost. So I don't know how that becomes the answer um, in day-to-day -day life. But however, our chap there in the post office, he didn't quite go through all of that with the post office clerk, but China's going to own everything, man. He says, he says to the board post office clerk, and in truth, there was a building site across the road from the post office. So being that kind of person, I uh, took out my um, tracking device and just had a little Google search of who the property developers were. And lo and behold, it seemed to me, hmm, could that be backed by Chinese investment money? It's entirely possible, right? I'm not going to comment exactly on that right here on episode 94 of my Drop in the Ocean podcast, but it certainly seemed that there could have been connections. So I thought to myself, wow, do I sound like this guy to other people? Um, you see, that is part of the problem. Without sounding like a patronizing C-U-N-T, um, he had a few points. Now, I've no idea why he was telling the board post office clerk, unless it's his idea of uh, foreplay or chatting somebody up, getting them, um, getting them all worked up over Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or well actually he wouldn't he didn't say that he was trying to get them all into the idea of putin um stealing our currency anyway just a bloke just a bloke with some thoughts and variations on the same thoughts as i have and most likely you have as well but certainly the bloke who i would imagine believes the mainstream media is lying to him and the kind of person that I know clearly, uh, many tech middle class pajama party people would no doubt call a bigot, um, or they would assume his bigotry, or an alt right conspiracy theorist, or whatever else they would find to throw at him. They do hate the working class, my friends, and that chap certainly was one of them. But the CCP, a great bunch of lads. He certainly wasn't wrong about their influence over the next decade having a great threat to our democratic principles. Meh, I hear you say, God damn it, can you start talking about cocaine and booze and heavy metal stupidity again? I promise I will soon enough. Didn't, didn't, didn't our boy Trump say the same? The China. Yes, well, 
what can I say? And I will say again later in the podcast that a stopped and fake tanned um, clock can sometimes be right twice a day, my friends. Now, a few things of note. A few things of note. Did that make any sense? Yeah, it made, made some sense. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that still the Rogan stuff is all over the news cycle? Replacing Ukraine, replacing the war at the top of the news cycle. It's vying for sort of top position. There's little no, there's little or no coverage of the mass protests that have been happening across Europe. Um, and the Canadian truckers are getting a look in at the top three. But um, it's mainly, it would seem to be framed or that they are being framed as all sorts of ists and isms by most media outlets. But you figured as much, right? And certainly it seems odd in our news cycle that there's um, very little mention now of anything to do with the pandemic or lockdown or restrictions at all, it would seem. We seem to be mainly, I suppose, um, on a broad level concerned with what's happening in um, American media politics. But I do want to talk about the Canadian trucker issue a little bit because that seems to be dominating some elements of the news cycle. And today I just read that they were sending in troops to confiscate uh, fuel, that they'd sort of banned the honking because um, they'd been, you know, making a lot of noise. And so they decided to ban their ability to make noise. And you will have noticed that a similar bill was also passed in the UK uh, to try and ban protests when they were talking about noise issues. So, again, people's right to protest is an inalienable part of their civil liberties. It is what defines um, Western society, is the ability for normal people to get out there and show their displeasure with instruments of the state and governance of for um, to keep politicians in check, to hold power to account. And this is something that I think is deeply, deeply under threat in this current moment. And again, I've been talking a bit about what's happening in Canada to friends there and to friends um, who sometimes it feels to me are being um, sideswiped by local social issues. And I think when it's happening within your own country and it's, uh, you know, it's on your own street, sometimes trying to see things in a broader context... Um, things can get a bit foggy. But the truth is that the Canadian trucker movement, um, it will hardly surprise you that I fall down on the side of supporting them. But it is very important in the sense that it shows um, to a government who is, in my opinion, introducing authoritarian measures far beyond their um, their um, elected reach. Um, it shows or in theory should show them that people still do have the power to change these things. And I've watched live footage of what's happening over there. Um, they are, of course, um, aware that the mainstream media and Trudeau government wants them to react violently so they can frame them as Capitol Hill-style insurrectionists. But as of yet, nothing. And I've watched quite a bit of the streams. Um, but just look at the way the mainstream media narrative... Um, is framing these two stories. I think anyone can see how it's being played out and manipulated in that the um, Canadian truckers within, you know, almost instantly were being framed as racists, uh, homophobes, Islamophobes, um, trans, every, everything they could throw, um, they could throw at them is what Trudeau's government um, did. 
which of course is also what they're doing to Joe Rogan at the moment, but we're going to get to that. But, you know, to, for context with all these things, I think that, um, for the record, stretch your mind back to the way the mainstream media treated, the, for example, the Black Lives Matter protests at the height of the pandemic, when um, everybody was living with um, restrictions and fear and were being told to stay inside. Um, those uh, protests were more or less encouraged. Um, we were told that racism was the virus after all. We watched news anchors discuss mostly peaceful protests in front of burning buildings. Bin- burning buildings. We watch footage of lootings, etc, etc. Now I observed what I observed and I also observed those protests here in my own city. Um, That's not an observation or a comment of course on what people would consider to be structural racism or whatever else, just an observation of um, what would appear to be happening. Um, That building is on fire. That is a thing I can see. Now compare that to the treatment of the Canadian truckers, which as far as I can see has been completely peaceful. And you can see how um, the treatment of these two narratives is almost completely different. And again, I would return to my sort of relative disdain that, um, you know, the, I call them the, you know, the middle class IT tech pajama party people and the kind of people who were quite happy with lockdown restrictions and rules and didn't really understand that normal working class people had to go out and um, work for a living. But you can see in the treatment of those truckers by the mainstream media that um, the those two narratives, those two stories, those two um, terms of protest are treated entirely differently. Um, now, in terms of either one's validity, well, of course, you have to judge that measure for yourself, but you can certainly see that the media treatment of either is completely different. And people do say to me, oh, it's just politics as usual. And you know what? You're right. It is politics as usual, but also it isn't. There's also something different going on here. Um, the idea that you can lock people inside their own houses, that you can, um, you have travel bans, you have mandated medical procedures, you have um, all of these things, um, restrictions, um, you have essentially the erosion of civil liberties uh, to the point where uh, protest is, you know, I think something that most governments across the West would really wish to have uniformly banned, the divide and conquer elements within society that are being played and pushed and prevaricated by institutions of power. I think that we can clearly see that it is not only politics as usual, that there was something greater, that things that had no precedence now have precedence. So I do take the argument that it's just politics as usual. And look, all politics are, all politicians are, well, I said the word, see, etc etc nt earlier and yeah i get that i do get that that the local issues um that there are no doubt politicians um who are jumping on the bandwagon of the um canadian trucker convoy or whatever you want to call it for their own ends who people in that area dislike for this reason and that reason but the simple fact is that there was a political at least what I would consider a vast political overreach into the everyday lives of people and that doing that um, under the surreptitious um, or um, umbrella fake assertion that it was only with people's safety in mind I think is untrue. It is certainly to take their civil liberties from them. At least that's how I would see it. But doesn't it all seem a bit like these things are bread and circuses? At least, certainly, the Rogan story is just a distraction. 
Um, another example of a story designed to polarize, designed to get people at each other's throats, to make people angry and irrational while the government, state, tech, pharma and other officiates of the 1% rake over the grave of the COVID narrative in order so we don't look too hard into the mistakes that were made or are being made. The WHO releases an article more or less stating, in their opinion, lockdowns did no good, saving 0.2% of lives calculated in the article, which, of course, if you were to weigh that against the lives lost because of it, um, let's say from suicides to unchecked cancer screenings, just off the top of a long list, and the deaths that will come as um, a result of lockdown, it would seem like the net gain for this drastic action is without question a negatory for not only our human rights and civil liberties, but also as regards human lives lost. Seeing as we just lost two years of our lives to that, and some governments are still clinging to the authoritarian narrative and punitively, it would seem to me, punishing their people. Why is this not front and centre of our news? Um, front and centre of the paper. Oh, by the way, that thing you were forced to do for two years didn't really seem to make much difference scientifically. Instead, we get a video of... Joe Rogan using the N-word, the nuclear device. Of course, the debate about context and nuance and that he was using it to reference other people using the word to describe whether it's Richard Pryor to Mark Twain, this gets buried. So instead of your average person wondering what the F just happened for the last two years, all my friends are talking about is Joe Rogan. Um, and I get that because he's the, you know, the, great, the biggest podcast in the world, the biggest social commentator. And it's just all a bit more titillating and a bit more, it appeals to our base human interest level a bit more so than going, hang on, wait, the, the political class did what? Um, of course, we were super angry at them for having a party, but going through all of the daily death statistics, um, for example, is a rather uh, morbid and unforgiving task. And nobody really wants to do that because there's not, there isn't really a sexy story that comes out of that. But, of course, Joe Rogan is a racist. Um, this, is, this is pure dynamite for the mainstream media. And, of course, um, of course here I'm on the podcast, I would t uh, attempt to frame it in terms of censorship and freedom of speech. Um, they aren't always greeted with reciprocity. Yes, that's a complicated word to say. Of course, you know, um, there was a, you know, there were people discussing a joke that... Uh, Rogan made, uh, whether it was a decade or a decade and a half ago, which, to be honest, didn't really seem very funny. And in, in truth, uh, I've never found any of Joe Rogan's comedy funny at all. I always thought he was a, a good inter interviewer in the sense that he was a sort of every man who wasn't, wasn't afraid to ask questions and he talked to lots of different people. But his stand-up comedy? No, no, no. No, thank you. Always never liked any of it. But um, and I think there are a section of society who think that people who like Rogan are just Rogan fanboys who just lap up everything that he puts out. But that isn't really, that isn't really true at all. But, but you have to kind of understand that someone like Rogan, to play the other side of the, um, you know, to put the other side of the case, he um, built this up from nothing and never really asked to have this much power. And I think maybe the responsibility of having quite so much power um, is something he took for granted who knows and it was never he was never an interrogator he was not he's not um 
an Andrew Neil type or something like this, if any of you are familiar with Andrew Neil, who really puts people he's interviewing to the sword. I don't think that was ever Rogan's uh, style. So what you're doing is also kind of reviewing his style. And if we're going to consider medical misinformation or misinformation, well, this is such a dystopian Orwellian concept. Um, misinformation, what exactly does that mean? But it's clear that we're living in an age where context or nuance are seemingly judged as irrelevant. Um, some of you might be familiar with the case of Count Dankula, um, who kind of has a cool YouTube channel where he just sort of jokey takes on sort of stories that relate to freedom of speech and all that kind of stuff. And um, there was a case, a Scottish guy, uh, he made his pug dog um, salute, etc. You Google it, you can find it. And a judge in Scotland ruled that context doesn't matter. Context doesn't matter. If context does not matter, then there is no comedy, as the object of every joke is to be treated um, as intent, as an endangered species, so to speak. Jokes are literal. Context is now intent. Just look at comedian Jimmy Carr and his joke about um, gypsies and the Holocaust. You can search for it yourself. Sure, difficult enough ground. Um, but then you have ministers in the UK Parliament are discussing it. Surely wasting everyone's time when they should be dealing with real matters. And they know this, and that's part of the smokescreen. But jokes are jokes, and they don't need explanation. Just like I've always said that art doesn't need any justification. Art is art. Um, or we are just happen to be in a very dark place um, in society. Well, I think we're already there. If every song is to be taken on face value, I've written, I estimate, 120, 130, maybe 140 lyrics, maybe more. So in the world of my lyrics, um, every character I've created, every scenario, every time I've used poetic license to embellish a line or two with pathos or drama or aggressive imagery or whatever else, or used allegory with the art itself as a shield, um, if context doesn't matter, then this is irrelevant. In a song from 23 or 4 years ago, I wrote this line, Bring the women and children before me, I will make rivers of their blood, which is from the song The Burning Season in 1999. Of course, written by an angry young version of me, but it is about a fever dream I had while being sick, inspired by an old 50s horror movie and some form of Lovecraftian Edgar Allan Poe-style um, poetic license. Is it to be taken literally? Being an artist is no longer counted as context. If it was to be taken literally, then surely somebody would be able to take that line out of that lyric and go, you see, you see, hate speech. You see, you see, he's trying to provoke something else. Should the police be knocking on my door claiming I'm inciting violence with this line? You may laugh or think I'm being hyperbolic and a bit daft. And I am. But this does and has happened. People have been arrested for tweets. They've been arrested for posting lyrics from rap songs. Artists have been cancelled, deplatformed over lyrics, things they said 20, 30 years ago, um, among everything else. Someone messaged me and they said, cancel culture is a myth perpetuated by the alt-right. I said, really? So no bands, no writers, um, no artists, no movies, no whatever. No one has ever been deplatformed. Well, that's not what I said. Well, I think it kind of is. And I said, what about Jermaine Greer, for example, from speaking at colleges? He wrote back, who? My point was clear. He had a simple issue with who I was. Context, nuance ceased to matter. This was all part of the crusade. I told him to go ahead and read the female eunuch. 
but I doubt on his crusade he really had time to stop and think and consider the idiocy of the statement. The truth is um, that these things are simply collateral damage to the crusade. I said I have personal experience of it, uh, seen it firsthand, if you wanted examples. He didn't. And yet these are the same, the very same foot soldiers who scream at anyone for invalidating their life experience. I said in my life experience, I have experienced this. I've seen it firsthand. Do you wish to um, accept that as my life experience? No, of course not, because you're from the opposite tribe or you're supposed to be from the opposite tribe. So, you know, this is one of the things that escapes many people. And I think it especially escapes clever people or clever talking heads on either side of the debate. If you're like me, then probably your algorithm is filled with the Weinsteins or the Sam Harrises or the whoever else of this world, um, Lex Friedman, etc., etc. And what they don't realize, as many people uh, don't, is that for foot soldiers in the culture war, this is indeed a war. It's a conflict. And they aren't interested in reason or context. It's a war. And for them, someone like Rogan is simply the biggest bear out there in the reserve. And they have formed a hunting pack point out to them that once the bears go extinct the reserve will be a far less diverse place I see what I did there um, if you go down to the woods today and the wildlife will suffer no one is interested in the implications it has for freedom of speech, civil liberty or that eventually the system will come for them, the bands that they like the podcasters that they like or that they will have no one left to hunt but each other which of course happens already in um, whatever scene that is but if you have the weapon you want to use it right, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But the implications, it would seem for Rogan are stark. Um, or, well, maybe he'll just move sideways to another platform, um, whether it's Rumble or, I suppose, maybe Elon Musk will create a platform for him. He can take most of his audience and still dwarf most people's listening figures, but it further sidelines him from the, the middle of the cultural debate. But... I would imagine and I would expect very shortly we're going to get some form of kind of Stormy Daniels type figures to appear out of the woodwork to claim uh, to claim some forms of mis sexual misconduct or something I would imagine, which would seem to be the standard operating manual playbook. Um, I would imagine that kind of thing is probably on its way. Um, right now there are a hundred odd episodes missing from the Rogan back catalogue. And some with standard comedians like Bill Burr, Bill Burr, Bill Burr, Bill Burr, or Tom Segura. But what I would imagine is this is a bot combing them for specific language cues. Now, who knows? They might be reinstated. But it brings me to the crux of the podcast. Um, and as I see, you will know by now that this is the sort of all over the place stream of consciousness style of the podcast. Um, and I'll try and connect the dots in my grey matter, but it brings me to the crooks of the podcast. Does apologising have any worth? I mean, of course, in real life it does. Apologising for your wrongs, um, if you have done them, seeking forgiveness and being allowed redemption are some of the most human traits that we have. And they're some of the most essential human traits we have to the social contract we have with one another. And very often, right now, it feels like they've been forgotten. As I said, when everything is seen in terms of conflict, then these symptoms are only viewed as a sign of weakness. And when one side um, smells blood in the water to be able to bring down someone from the opposing tribe, doubling down is seen as a virtue. Um, not admitting to mistake is seen as a sign of strength, uh, a turn, uh, a U-turn, which, you know, 
is a pretty helpful maneuver when you're driving a car is now seen as a sign of weakness so for rogan to start apologizing to the mob which i think he sort of has started to do um they certainly smell blood now they sense the weakness and that with more pushing they could bring him down no one is interested in his apology unless it comes with a full act of contrition but even then i don't think the act of contrition will be enough it will be um that they literally want a well they want a good old-fashioned burning at the stake and that is um if you consider the act of contrition a religious offering uh which of course which of course makes sense when you consider i think the religious orthodoxy involved in this movement um or in this sort of tribal move moment that we all seem to be in um certainly it has all the hallmarks of a religious movement of religious revival so it needs heretics to burn at the stake and here we are context nuance circumstance and reason are not going to it would look like save rogan from that fire and many people who should know better that we all know will dance on his grave no less just seeing it in terms of a victory for their side but it ain't really a victory for the for their side it's a victory for old media for the 1% for the political elite for whoever else who wants to control the narrative so if you have your dancing shoes on are these the people you really want to be well dancing with or dancing for i suppose um i have the sad feeling the people right now getting ready for this big dance um couldn't care less of the implications of free speech and they are vast if he goes then quite literally there is no platform as large um which can house some dissenting voices and what my friends are the hallmark of tyl- of tyranny and that is the silencing of dissent and you know i get the fact that this the podcast sort of labors over some of these same points and many people have the ah look come on ella it won't be that bad yeah maybe so but the podcast is called agitators anonymous after all but the it can't happen here mantra of people who don't really well they don't really in my own opinion understand history um the it can't happen here mantra will be a thin and flimsy veneer once they maybe open a book and read uh, you know the first chapter on the nature of authoritarianism which is of course censorship so is there any point in apologizing um i think maybe once upon a time 5 or 10 years ago or even 4 years ago there was maybe um an element um a moment where you could apologize for things you had said when you were an angry young man or things that had been misinterpreted or that language mis- was misunderstood but since then the culture wars have heated up uh, to such a point that there kind of seems to be little point in a heavy metal context um i would say the marduk way of dealing with things as in making no statement is the way to deal with it all so that nothing can be misconstrued as no one is interested really in the reason just their angle within it and what their tribe thinks from my own experience i've said to people if you wish to debate me or you want to have a one-on-one conversation then okay you know the possibility for doing that or discussing that is is possible but most people don't want to do that because that's not part of the deal part of the crusade the part of the crusade is winning it certainly isn't debating but making um statements that anyone can chop up and misconstrue misconstrue for example with the podcast of nb wants to of course there are over 90 episodes now which lay out my position but this is essentially on my terms it's not really a conversation um the words are there it's a fool's errand perhaps considering how everyone is being crucified over any comments though 
I mean, I know it sounds kind of ridiculous um, to really be going over some of these, you know, general social commentary talking points again. It's like, ah, oh, what are you doing talking about all these kind of things over and over? But look, this is the nature of... Um, I think these things have ramifications for the uh, scene that we are in, etc., even if they do seem a little bit abstract. I mean, take, for example, uh, Whoopi Goldberg and all this nonsense around her, not a real name, by the way, um, but her suggestion that the Holocaust was not about race. I Really, it's just a sort of ignorant statement. Um, but, of course, live by the sword, then die by it. She's championed other people being hung for the same crime, but in reality... We should be allowed to say something that we do regret. However, welcome to Battlefield Earth. And that sort of leads me to the end of this sort of ramble across these different things. All I'm trying to suggest is maybe that we can see how different narratives are framed if one um, story does or does not bolster the mainstream narrative, so to speak. And I know people get annoyed when I say mainstream narrative, but you can see the difference between the way the Canadian trucker protest is being um, framed or covered and, for example, the Black Lives Matter protest. You can see clearly how the mainstream um, media um, takes up either one of those stories. Nothing to do with the validity of either one of those protests. That's up for you to ju- that's for you to judge. But you can see the difference within that. You can see the smoke screens that are happening. You can see, for example, that the whole world is talking about Joe Rogan instead of maybe discussing, um, you know, discussing what actually just happened over the last two years. You can see that there is a you know a coordinated effort to remove him. And um, I think this is pretty true. But these are the bread and circuses of the time that we live in, that people are obsessed with these media figures. So while everyone is debating Joe Rogan, we can see that the media is not covering, for example, the text messages between Ursula von der Leyen and the head of Pfizer discussing vaccines. We can see that while the media is discussing all of these kind of things, the um, political elite or whatever you want to call them can quietly um, shuffle off stage left or stage right and maybe not have us examine some of the things that they did not have us investigate not have us um, wonder what happened in terms of the last two years these are smoke screens these are bread and circuses they're things that um, they're tittle tattle to sound like 1950s dad that um, that distract us from the real matters and who knows, maybe I am uh, partially a victim. Well, victim is the wrong word, but a victim of the same media news cycle. Well, maybe because here I am discussing this one. I should have been discussing um, losing my mind in South America somewhere in some bar or tavern of ill repute. I promise I will try and tell those stories. Um, but of course, the podcast's abiding principle is the support of freedom of speech. So this dovetails perfectly as subject matter. And here we are, episode 94, coming to its conclusion. Um, it's just a ramble across the idea of bread and circuses of misinformation. What exactly does that mean, this Orwellian concept of misinformation? How it affects us and as we move forward. Head over to my YouTube channel. There's all sorts of other heavy metal videos and this and that and the other going up there and various things. I just uploaded an interview with Quarthon from Bathory in the streets in Portugal just to my YouTube channel. Yeah, so there you go. Episode 94, my friends.
Planet Satan over and out. Agitators Anonymous.